Welcome to Anecdotes for Success with Matt and Paul. Storytelling is an art form, emphasizing the value and learning that is created through personal experience. Our purpose is to share these stories and experiences with the listener. Everyone has a powerful testimony. Let's use them to level up to our best life with truth, meaning, trade-offs, and perspective. Big shout out to Isaac Mather for the new podcast intro. You can check Isaac's music out on all socials or directly at IsaacMatherMusic.com. All right, another week, another episode. Matt, we have John Dunkel on tonight. And I'm going to stop talking because I usually say too much in the beginning. But John, uh, welcome. Tell us about yourself. Go back as far as you want to go and then the conversation will start. Great. Well, thank you. And as I was getting ready for this tonight, I was like thinking, okay, what am I going to say that's going to be of any meaning to anybody? And I was, you know, thinking about, you know, where I am now. I'm a psychologist. I was trained as a psychologist. Uh, and I was a first generation college student. Um, my parents never graduated from high school. And somehow I made it all the way to get a PhD. I don't know how I did it to this day. Um, <laughs> You know, growing up in upstate New York, uh, and I'll say a little bit more about that in a bit, but it's really, when I think about it, I'm like, how did I, how did I do that? <laughs> and I was really reflecting on, um, you know, what your title, Anecdotes for Success. I love that. What are anecdotes? Well, they're not, they're really unscientific observations. And so I'm going to give you some unscientific observations as I reflected and, and prepared for uh, this this evening. So, so um, as I said, I I got my PhD, and then I um, after I completed, I went through all the SUNY system in New York. Okay, okay. started out at a community college, and then went all the way up to get my doctorate at University of Albany. But anyway, after that, I went and worked at a very prestigious institution, Northwestern University, for twenty five years, and, and I developed, you know an expertise in working on college student mental health, which is a huge issue today um, for a number of reasons. And then the last three and a half years, I came here to New York City and I worked for a uh, great nonprofit organization called the Jed Foundation, which um, is uh, its vision is to promote the mental health and prevent suicide amongst our nation's teens and young adults. And I work with, I get the chance to work with a lot of colleges and universities. I've visited, I think 60 since I've been here. And so we help them develop strategic plans and whatnot. So that's a little bit about my professional, but, but what, you know, I thought about what did, how did I get here? Um, and I, I have it in sort of three buckets and they're not in any specific order. Uh, they're all inextricably linked. But I think the first thing I thought about is what drove me is my, um, the importance of key relationships in my life. Mm -hmm. so, um, people, who really uh, helped shape me. And that starts, of course, with family, parents, and uh, teachers, and you know, a whole bunch. But there's a famous quote that I love from the movie Amistad. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It was in the late 90s. Great movie with Anthony, Anthony yeah. Hopkins. And he was playing um, you know, John Quincy Adams, and he was arguing before the Supreme Court after he'd become president. And in there, the, the quote was, we might acknowledge that our individuality, which we so, so revere, is not entirely our own. That really stuck with me because what that means to me is that, you know, while we uh, uh, have our own identities, they're shaped by so many people in our lives, starting with, with family. Um, 
And they can be good or positive or negative influences. Hopefully there's more positive than negative. But, you know, I, I think about the key people in my life and my parents, of course, but they were um, very key, still are. Um, you know, they were, as I said, they never graduated from high school. They um, were, they worked in supermarkets uh, all of our lives. Um, and, you know, they worked really hard. They taught us, you know, to work hard, don't complain, don't whine. Uh, and I think that has really remained with me all these years after I left, you know, they really, um, you know, uh, also, also taught us not to, um, they taught us to respect people. They taught us to be kind, to be caring, um, all those types of things. And, um, you know, they, as I said, they worked hard. They would get up at 430 in the morning and go to work. Uh, and that, like, as I'm a morning person to this day, by the way, um, <laughs> really, you know, they didn't tell us to work hard or anything. We learned it from just simply from the eloquence of their example. And so that those were, they were really key. And then, of course, later, as I went through my, as I grew up, the IIT's teachers were very big for me, um, you know, and professors who took me under their wings and and really um, helped mentor me and helped me to sort of, um, you know, they helped nurture uh, my interests and my my um, education. So anyway, they were they were all very influential on me. And colleagues, of course, and supervisors over the years um, have really, you know, helped shape me. So I would say the first big thing is is, is relationships in my life. Never and being a psychologist, that's something that I talk about all the time, you know, and never underestimate the importance of one's relationships. Well, John, not not to interrupt you on this, but 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 I am um, the uh, you bring up relationships that I immediately glanced at Paul and I saw him kind of grin as well. We talk as a business person, that's uh, entrepreneur. That's how I identify. Right. Although, to your point. What are all the what are all the influences that shaped that right from your the quote you just gave which was which was great but it's all relationships it's you know uh, it's it's we talk about it all the time relations I I just always say relationships are everything and I don't you know I mean that they're so important they're so valuable and it's just wonderful to hear from your perspective how important and not only influential they they have been in your life but that you recognize that. Um, and, and listed as one of the one of the most important things. I, I guess it just validates maybe our our opinion on the subject, right, Paul? Yeah, and uh, I mean, I I joke about it every year. I mean, as an educator going into my twenty seventh year, I don't know if kids even remember what I talk about in the classroom, but but they they love their relationships. And I've been going through some stuff this past week with a, a death death of a past student and. The relationships, it's front and center, 101. Every time, like, sorry, my body language, when you said relationships, I'm with Matt's looking at me, I'm looking at him, and I'm like, <laughs> boom. Uh, John, it's what it's all about. You know, family, friends. Uh, well, I'll let you continue, but yes. Well, it made me think of another quote now that I wasn't going to say, but it just made me think of I love quotes. Let's hear it. <laughs> Maya Angelou once said, people never remember what you say. They don't remember what you do. They remember how you made them feel. Feel. Yep. That's true. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. So, so many uh, people don't, so many people don't understand that though. Like, yeah, it makes oh. me sick, but yes, absolutely. And I, I, I think the, the other, the next bucket that I'm calling them that I thought about is 
You know, I've always been someone, and I don't know how I developed this, but I've always been very self-reflective and always working on self-awareness. And I, I think I got it because, you know, growing up in upstate New York, it was a very rural area. We didn't have, you know, internet back then or cell phones. Uh, my God, we, on, we had, we got, we had, we didn't have cable TV. We got two channels. I, I, sorry to yeah. interrupt. I, I don't know if you have any of that still where your parents live, but go ahead. Oh, they do actually now. <laughs> but, but, you know, we got, we got two channels and three on a good night if the weather cooperated and the antenna was turned just the right way. But anyway, that's all to say that, you know, uh, I had a lot of time to think and reflect. You know, I was very, um, very reflective and I spent a lot of time alone. And on hindsight, you know, um, I think that where that partly came from was that I was still developing my identity and a big part of my identity, which came later, was uh, coming out as gay. And it was... Um, it was something that you didn't talk about back then. And uh, certainly there were a lot of role models that were obvious and available. Uh, and it, it was for, for a boy growing up in, in a very rural area, that was a very lonely place to be. Um, mm. And so it, um, to the point where at one point I even uh, contemplated suicide. And um, somehow uh, I was able to work through that. And I think part of it is, is because, you know, my, my parents were the loving, we always, they cared about us and we had that and I had key people in my life, but it was a extremely lonely place. Um, and uh, like I said, we didn't have all the internet and everything back then to be able to see examples and role models and whatnot. Um, but I, I and I told myself when I be decided after I got into college I was going to study Spanish at first, but then I ended up studying psychology because I took a course at Corning Community College and I just loved it. And I hey started, John, do you remember who your teacher was? Uh, yes, it was Benny Hunsinger. Okay, I, I I went to Corning as well, and I took uh, I I still talk about a psych I see psychology teacher to this day. His name was Joe Hannock, and I don't know. If oh, I, yeah. I was just I wondering if I didn't go down that path, of course, like like you did, but I was mesmerized by that class, and I took several of them, even though I was I had no I was not studying the topic. I was just I was just curious mm -hmm. curious if it was the same same teacher. It wasn't, um, but it wouldn't have shocked me at all because he had a he had a big influence in my life. Um, yeah. One of the few memories I have of 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 that time. Anyway, I I didn't mean to interrupt, but I had to ask. No, he was and, and, and real quick, Benny, Stacy talked about him. Like I've I've talked to multiple people that the dude, the dude, the professor was he was a legend. Oh yeah, I mean he's the reason why I, I credit him for um really uh for my interest in developing interest in becoming a psychologist because wow. the two courses I took with him. Okay, you know his social psych course especially that was my favorite course. Um. But, you know, and then down the road, you know, um, I realized that part of my drive to want to help people and be a psychologist is I didn't want anyone else to be alone like I was mm -hmm. and to develop whatever they needed to develop so that they could work past any type of crisis like that. And so um, the self-reflection is something that is so important. Um, and I don't think people do enough of that either. We talked about not recognizing the importance of relationships. 
I think uh, we, we sometimes can go down a path of really fooling ourselves uh, and thinking that, you know, uh, not being honest with what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are. Um, and I, I think that uh, that my, somehow I developed a talent or a, a natural ability to self-reflect. And I think that's what makes me a good psychologist. <laughs> John, why why do you think people don't do a, a a very good job with that? Are they are they are is it I'm afraid I don't want to face I don't want to face you know face the truth in some sense you know is that we we all like to pretend we're the the star of our own uh, movie I guess I mean wh what do you think that is professionally? Well, I think it, I think it could be a number of things. I think it depends on the person. But I think shame is one. Guilt. Um, I think. Um, uh, you know, embarrassment, uh, that people can't, um, uh, you know, admit to themselves what their areas of growth are and what they need to do and then accentuate what your strengths are. You know, um, you don't need to be have strengths in everything. And I think that that's a part of this culture in the United States, especially that we try to be everything and we can't, it, that's just not realistic. No, um, it's not it, as a, as a, as a, business person myself and someone who's likes to think he's trying to be the best person he can, whether it's a husband, a father, uh, a leader, a, a friend, um, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, one of the things that I believe in and, and try to teach um, when I have the opportunity is, Hey, you can't, you're going to have things you're not as good at. You don't, you don't have to maybe work. I try to be the best I can in my areas of strength um, to accentuate those strengths in order to, to lead to the kind of successes I, I, I value it at times. And it doesn't mean, you know, Hey, I'm a real, I'm a real jerk. I'll just continue to be a jerk. I'm, I'm not saying that, but I like to focus on my strengths. And I think um, that's a good strategy and a lot for a lot of things, probably not for everything, but for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're familiar with the the Clifton Strengths Finder, that's the whole basis of that. That you know the the idea that you know accentuate what your strengths are. You don't. You're not going to have strengths in everything. Um, so, okay. yeah, I think that's um, a big piece of it. But the self awareness is something that I, I'm very. Um, I actually love spending time alone. I think it's because the growing up where I did, and that's why I think when I when I talk with people and when I was in my practice as a psychologist. You know, what drove that is I'm genuinely interested in each person's story. I want to learn because one of my top strengths on that strengths finder that I was mentioning to you is context, meaning okay. I love to understand every person where they're coming from. That I think that's what makes me a good psychologist, part of that. Right. So. Hey, John, let me let me back up and ask you a question about about you. You'd mentioned, you know, when you were. I think you said in high school when you you said you came out as gay. It was not until actually I started graduate school in Albany, much later. Oh, oh okay, oh, wow. okay. So, so you were. I, I thought I the that. same thing. Yeah. You. Oh. So you were. You were older. I, I was just going to ask you, and you know, obviously, you know, anything personal, you don't have to, 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 you know, don't feel obligated. But what was that like in a time where you know I don't know how old you are. I assume we're somewhat somewhat in the same generation and you know like you talked about the, the, there were not models for you know you, you know and, and this is coming from someone who's straight I didn't give it a lot of thought it was you know but I don't I don't know what that would have been like without you know 
looking to someone and saying, you know, there's a success story and I'm like that in some sense. I mean, what was that like? It, well, I'll tell you, you know, privately uh, through my high school years, I, you know, I, I knew early on that something was different. I didn't know what it was called. I didn't know how to label it, but it's something was different. And as I got into high school um, and then certainly into my undergraduate, I started to privately, uh, I don't want to say accept yet. I was trying to tolerate this, this part of myself. So mm -hmm. it's sort of a process. And one of the things that um, coming out as gay does is that you, you develop really good radar because you're really attuned to people thinking something about you, um, okay. you know? Uh, and so it was, I started to really, I tried to fit in, you know, I was really good at making friends. I, I'm a pretty sociable person. I think because probably I have a good sense of humor, which is another key, uh, <laughs> I have a good sense of humor and I see the, the funny and stuff. And so I think that helped me. But then when I went to um, graduate school in Albany, um, you know, that really, I started to really explore more and I started to meet new people. That's the other thing. As you go and get education, I got out of Elmira, New York, that small town, and I started to meet people that were very different than I in so many ways. And I, the, 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 um, the price cannot be put on that education. Most of what you learn in college is not in a classroom. It's in right. The out of the classroom, it's in your activities, it's in the relationships you form. And that did a lot for me. And I started to meet people who were gay and I started to publicly come out finally. Um, and so, no, it wasn't easy. Um, uh, it was a very lonely place, especially where I was living in Elmira. But as I got out and explored the world through education, that changed the whole uh, show for me. It was big. Yeah, interesting. You know, you and and you make a good point on the. I was just having a conversation today about kind of education and and there's a lot of conversation about is it worth it right today that the cost of it versus you know the debt people take on and and the conversation turned to, are we talking about that or are we talking about the experience of it and 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 what you just described that you know kind of one's almost a commodity right you know just. I can get the education. I can go on YouTube and listen to classes that are being taught at Harvard every day. Right. I can, anyone can do that or, or some example of that, but it's, it's the other aspect. It's, it's what Paul and I call perspective. Wouldn't you say, Paul, Paul, and I call the perspective from other people, from people from different backgrounds, different, you know, uh, different races, different, you know, cultures, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that is, and not to mention having to go on your own, right? And for the first time, uh, make sure you get to wherever you're going on time, or 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 actually, you know, feed yourself or do your laundry, or th those types of things that that actually, you know, that truly mean something um, beyond, you know, what you get. What was your GPA kind of thing? So it, it, interesting that you bring that up too. Real quick, I mean that that triggered me. The the education part like every there's a big homeschool movement now there's a big we don't need public schools we don't need the the stress kids are put under i get all that but i also feel like you're missing out on how to handle all that stuff like there's nothing fair sometimes about what town you're from or 
what you do or what the people think of you or or when it comes to college, I don't even know if you can sometimes put a monetary value on are you going to make what you're paying to go to school? But I I look at both of you. I I well well I'm staring at both of you in a Zoom, but uh I, I think <laughs> of both of you, I think of my wife, I think of a lot of other people that go to community college. You have all these credits, and then you go to the you you are both SUNY grads. We we didn't even touch base. You have a lot more in common than you think you do. And uh the experiences are sometimes, well, a lot of times worth it if you can control some of the other expenses. And I'm I'm ranting a little because I'm an educator, but I socially all that is so important in your journey, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You can't put a price tag on that, in my opinion. No. And I'm a big believer in uh, young people having that experience as much as they can, whether it's whether they choose to go to school after high school or work. Right. Opening yourself up to uh, experiences that stretch you um, because that's how you grow. That's how you learn. Um, so uh, that that happened for me. I mean, um, I, I can't even tell you, of course, what let's see. I graduated from Cortland to my bachelor's. In, oh, you, I went to Cortland too, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there you go. I got my <laughs> master's there too. Uh, and I graduated from there in 1988 with my bachelor's in 1990 with my master's. And, you know, I still have friends from there. I mean, I have a friend who lives here in Long Island and he has season tickets to the Giants game. So he's taken me to those since I've been here in New York. So uh, anyway, and, you know, then moving out to Chicago for 25 years where you know, uh, a beautiful city. I'm, I'm moving back there actually in a, a couple of weeks. Okay. Um, yeah, I lived there for 25 years and, you know, I still have friends there who really are like family to me. And so that really shaped me that, that whole, that whole experience and still does. So, but I think the last thing that I would say, my last bucket, that sort of, I think flows. Yeah, I wanted from- to get back to the last bus- bucket. <laughs> you have relationships and you have self-reflection. The other one that's somewhat related, and I think it's inextricably, inextricably linked, is I think I've been blessed with a sense of resiliency and the ability to bounce back from, uh, you know, um, defeats and failures. And um, it also means I'm, I, I'm open to change. I'm open to, you know, uh, I see every situation as a learning opportunity. And Another quote that I'll give you that I think of <laughs> is from Nelson Mandela. He said, I never lose. I either win or I learn. And yeah. that to me is a very definition of resiliency, in my opinion. Uh, if you're open to, you know, um, you know, seeing what you might see as a failure, it's a great learning opportunity. That's why um, I, somehow I, I was blessed with that skill. And I think I learned that from my parents. I think I learned that from my family, you know, like I said, we never whined, you do your job, you get it done, every job's important. It wasn't a lot of touchy-feely, but it helped us to navigate tough times, so. Sure, you know, John, we're, we're liking that as well. I mean, as a, as an entrepreneur, resilience is, it's a it's a must. I mean, you're gonna fail. And and I've done it plenty of times. And, and I also know I'm not done doing it because I continue to wanna push, you know, my boundaries and, and that comes with a, the cost of, of taking on failure at times. Uh, but also, like your quote from Nelson Mandela, you know, if you if you learn from it, it's it's not a failure. And um, 
I know that's cliche and, you know, you hear, but it, I, it's, it's really true as a, as a guy who's been through a lot. And, you know, I, I've, I've probably reinvented myself a half dozen times over the last 25 or so years in my career. And, uh, you know, I relate to the word resilient um, in that sense and, and reinventing myself and, open to change like you were you were just i'd never quite heard it described like that but it resonates with me mm -hmm, yeah yeah you know I, it's something that we you know i talk about certainly when i was at northwestern with college students and my colleagues and then certainly in my work today you know at the jed foundation it's a it's a um you know something we see a lot you know how can we help young people develop resiliency when there's so many distractions out there today you know, with all the, the phones and the social media, uh, they're just bombarded with things that, you know, how do we break through all that to keep, not only get, but keep their attention so that they can navigate conflict and relationships. They can navigate, you know, if they get uh, uh, D minus on a test, they can navigate not being selected in a fraternity on and on and on. So uh, I think that's really important. Yeah, John, do you do um, that's very interesting to me that that topic, I guess, because, um, well, I work with a lot of I work with students. I have a lot of employees. I work with people just all the time from a variety of different areas. And, and one one thing that I, I uh, to be perfectly honest, get quite frustrated with. It's less frustration is more it's more sad because I see a lot of people um and and I you know I don't want to paint with a broad brush. I would say the younger the the more I see it, but it it doesn't mean it's everyone. But an inability to handle um, perceived failure, to handle criticism, um, to to look at accountability as as something that you know isn't <laughs> isn't something that's their, their responsibility, and. I can get frustrated with it, but most of the time it just makes me sad because I don't know what kind of life a person leads who, 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 who can't, you know, who has difficulty with a, in those areas. I, I don't think you get to be the best version of you, which is what I think everyone should strive for. Not, not better than John or better than Paul or better than Matt, but the best version of whoever you happen to be. And I, I see so much quit in people. And mm -hmm. am I am I am I am I wrong? Am I just, you know, the, the old man who's, you know, looking at people, you know, in my generation, we were tough or or is there or is there something to that? And if there's something to it, what's going on? I think it's, it is for some. I think um, uh, I think there's a, a um, there needs to be a distinction between being between excellence and perfection. And I think a lot of people are trying for perfection and no one can is perfect. You should always try to be your best. And I think that's where a lot of people and uh, especially people, you know, younger people today. Now there's certain student populations that, you know, there's societal barriers that are, are really um, leading to a lot of problems and hurdles for them. You know, uh, black and Hispanic and Latinx uh, young people, you know, they have to deal with microaggressions and, you know, um, systemic racism that's been around for a long time, uh, LGBTQ plus youth. And then if there's intersectionality of those identities, that even is more tricky. And so I see this all the time in my work. Um, but I think, you know, we have to become even more creative in how we teach um, resiliency, how we model it. 
Um, and that's that requires a really um, broad, comprehensive approach. You know, teachers need to uh, integrate it into their um, their uh, syllabi. They need to integrate it into their curricula. You know, um, support staff can also help with that as well. Families, we need to educate parents and families uh, around these topics because uh, it's so important. So. Yeah, are, are, there's there's a. Are you familiar with Jonathan Haidt's work at all? No, it doesn't sound familiar. It, it, what, one of the, I've read several of his books. Listen to him. One, one of the one of the things he 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 discusses or has discussed at length is something he calls being anti-fragile, which isn't, which is obviously, you know, uh, the, the, it's a term he made up in terms of, of how, how we should, people should or can look at the world. And, and it's that, you know, idea of being of anti-fragility, like, you know, we're, we're trying to protect everyone so much. What we should be doing is trying to, make strengthen them in a sense it's almost like i use the example you know let's say i have a, I have a little a young child and we're you know we have a pool outside well let's not barricade the pool although that probably might be a good idea but but let's teach the child to swim let's make the child anti-fragile if something does happen that would that would mm -hmm. test the child uh, let's let's make sure that that we're we're giving the child the tools to succeed because at the end of the day we're all going to face things that we don't want to necessarily face right it's life things are going to come at us that we're we don't want and and the more anti fragile we are um, to many of those things and then then the better we'll be able to handle them and and anyway I found his work to be very interesting and and I didn't know if you'd ever come across it that that statement in particular but that's that's what I think of with some of that and at least as far as I try to live my life and 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 with my daughter and and people I care about who I have some influence on I go hey look you're gonna you're gonna run into some tough things and rather than try to tuck you away in a corner and hope it never happens, let's let's be able to deal with 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 things. And I, I don't mean extreme violence and 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 some of the things that I can only imagine certain people see that I've never never experienced, thankfully. But you know, I just mean difficult times in life that most people tend to go through. Yeah. You know, uh anti-fragile. I I always like I've been trying to get my two cents in, in the last 10 minutes. You guys were awesome. Uh, <laughs> that's what always happens. Uh, I like, you know, John's a quote guy. I'm an acronym guy. Uh, I always look back at failure. First attempt in learning under real world experience. Like if if you're not failing, you're you're setting your goals too low. If you're not failing, you're you're not getting uncomfortable and. I feel like I feel like when you say anti-fragile, uh, failure, uh, adversity, it's it's all the same thing. Like what what's the point in your journey if you don't have the ups and downs to try to deal with? John, what do you mm -hmm. think about that? I know I, I well, it certainly was important in my in my growth and where I and how I am where I am today. I mean, um, you know, uh I'll give you one example that I can think of that still sits with me. You know, when I graduated from Cortland, my bachelor's, I applied for doctoral programs. Um, and I was so excited. I wanted to go get my PhD and everything. And I didn't get in. Uh, I was absolutely devastated. I said, oh, it's over. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to stay at Cortland and get my master's. And oh, my God. What a me. failure. <laughs> but 
But on hindsight, it was the best thing that ever happened because I got to work with a great mentor who really, um, like I said, took her, took me under her wings. And, you know, I got to experience research. I got to, you know, really have the scientific and statistical background that, you know, I gave me an edge up for other students when I got into the PhD, PhD program eventually. So while that was a, a perceived failure, it really was, and I, I learned from it, I grew. Yeah. Uh, and it was so important. We gotta have more of that. And, but you also need, when you do that, you also, I think, need to be able to have space to also process it with someone, you know? Whoever that may be, it doesn't have to be a psychologist. It can be a family member. It can be a friend. Um, you know, like I said, I was um, um, uh, pretty, uh, pretty. Um, I kept to myself a lot as I was growing up. But at that time, I started to develop friends and and I was able to connect with them. That was really important. A lot of people don't have that, you know, to be able to talk through, um, you know, a perceived failure and how you can grow from it. Really important. So, so talking about perceived failure, I, I wanted to jump back to when you said you were having suicidal thoughts, like if you don't mind expressing that or sharing that, or I, I mean, everybody's been touched by that in, in more ways than we can believe, like, and in hindsight, everybody looks back and say, oh my God, like, yeah. explain, explain what you were going through, I, I guess. Well, I think, so this was um, around eighth grade, ninth grade, somewhere in there. And I was starting to really recognize that I really was different. And I was scared. I was very scared. I like, how am I going to explain this? What am I going to do? Um, how am I going to uh, run away from, um, you know, this very painful uh, internal experience? Because I, I couldn't talk to anybody about it. And, you know... Being gay, at least when I was growing up, is what some refer to as being intergenerational, intergenerationally um, uh, horizontal, meaning um, I can't go and talk to a father or an uncle over here who's gay and say, what's it like? Mm. I, do that. I have to do that myself. I have to think about it myself. If I'm fortunate enough, I might have a trusted other who, who really would, I could go to. But I was really alone and I really, um, uh, you know, contemplated it and was going to take action. And, you know, somehow I dug deep and I won't get into the details of what it was, but I, I, I dug deep into um, myself and, um, you know, uh, it, it really mattered um, to see, you know, people in my lives who, who really cared about me. Um, and so uh, I, I just didn't do it. And somehow I had the, that resiliency to push through it. Um, but it was really hard. Um, if I hadn't had the other buckets that I mentioned, it may be a very different story today. You know? that, Sadly, that's interesting. Because my next question is, what would you say to somebody thinking that stuff? Because, I mean, let's face it. There's people out there right now contemplating the same stuff, right? It's it's a big world. Well, I would I would say that there is help out there. You're not alone. And whether you're, if you can't go to family members, there's national hotlines. You know, now there's that 988, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, uh, where someone can call confidentially and talk to 
a, uh, a, a crisis counselor right there and then, and it's confidential. So these are available. And there's lots of other uh, resources like that available. There's there's something called the Trevor Project, which is really focused on LGBTQ plus uh, young people, and they have a hotline. There's even a veterans one for that for that uh, matter. There's a, lots of them. There's lots of there is support out there. You can get it, and you know um, what was the saying? Suicide is a uh, long term solution to a short term problem. And while it may feel like it's insurmountable, it is if you just reach out. It really is. It, and it, it really doesn't. It really doesn't matter what walk of life you come from. I mean, there's people we probably talk to daily that that might be contemplating that. Right. Right. That that to me it to me it seems so overwhelming. And and I mean not on a selfish point, but I like you just don't know what other people are going through. Right. Right. And, you know, it makes me think of one other, um, I'm having these flashball memories now. Uh, in high school, <laughs> and of course, I went to the same high school as as Paul's wife, Stacey, um, uh, Southside High School in Elmira. You know, there happened to be uh, a, prof a teacher there who everyone knew was gay, but they never said it. I told him, I met up with him and his um, partner, his long-term husband, um, a couple years ago. And I said to him, and I wasn't in his class, I didn't take his class. I said, I just want you to know what influence you had on me from a distance. Wow. You, your example and your love for your husband. Again, it wasn't talked about, you know, right. but we knew. And he was a beloved teacher there. Stacy knows him. Um, yep. and, and he, I credit him for uh, influencing me so much in those early years. And he didn't know it. I never took a it, class, I took singing. And he, <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he was a unifier. Like he was yes. incredible at that school. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how, how did he, do you remember how he responded to that when you said it? Was it something he'd heard a lot before? I'm, I'm curious if, if how he reacted to that. Well, by the way, we were in um, Provincetown. That's where he and his husband stay in the summer months. And we went out for some drinks and um, I told him that and he said he was very moved by that. And he told me that uh, a, a lead administrator there um, at the school once said that he really credited him for really helping him learn and actually saving lives. Wow. So that a long way. Wow. Yeah. That's that. Wow. Good yeah, for you for saying something. Good for you for saying something, too. I mean, that's 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 interesting. That's, I I I. I can only imagine what that would mean to someone, you know, in his, in his shoes. So. So do you, do you think, do you think if it was today instead of 1980 ish, right. Would he have, would he have been more vocal about who he was as a person? I don't know. That's a good question. I, I don't know either. That that's oh. like, because it doesn't matter. His influence was second to none from what oh, I've yeah. heard. Oh God. He, he was really, he has a natural ability. You said unify. Um, people um, are drawn to him and for good reasons. <laughs> right, right, right. No, I get that. Yeah. And so hey, I hey. guess, I guess the question I asked, I mean, it really doesn't matter. Who cares if he talked more about it? The, the point was his intentions as a person and, and what he did for students and faculty, right? And I realized, yes, and I realized, given what I went through and what I know, 
is that there's young people out there today that are watching and observing. So I take very seriously um, my role as mentoring and, you know, being vocal as I can be so that people know they can reach out to me and that I'm an example, just like mm -hmm. he, he was to me. Hey, 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 John, when when we first when you we first started just talking, you'd mentioned uh, uh, suicide. And, and I just I scribbled it down real fast. You'd mentioned it was a huge issue today, but it, which is not surprising. But you said it in a way that made me think that it's more. Is it more of an issue today than than it maybe has been in the past? And if so, why? I, and maybe I just miss up. Maybe I misread you. Well, uh, certainly suicides are up. The preliminary data from 2022, which is the, um, the, the most recent we have, it's almost 50,000. Know, that's the highest ever in the United States. Wow. Um, I think it's, it's, it's for a lot of reasons. It's a much more complicated world. Um, it's a less kinder world. Uh, you know, we see wars, we see gun violence, we see, um, you know, hatred, we see, uh, oh my God, the, just the gambit. You know, and then couple that with access to weapons, you know, access to lethal means. It, it all sort of comes together and um, uh, makes for, you know, suicides being out. Now, during, I think it was 2019 and 2020, the, the, actually the rates went down a little bit. Or maybe in 2020, 2021, I can't remember. But anyway, we thought maybe that was the COVID effect. But actually, um, preliminary data from 2022 out of the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, indicates it's close to 50,000, which wow. is the So, yeah, wow. it's a complex public health issue. And, you know, um, that's, that's why it requires layers of action, you know, being proactive. It, you know, I was talking about it this week as I had a close friend's son who took his life last week and uh it's it's so easy i think in this day and age we're we're so just detached sometimes from everything everybody else does it's easy to say well i don't know why they do that or i don't know what they were thinking and the whole point is we don't because you have to be in such a complete different mindset right and i'm not there and i, I hope i'm never there and but the empathy like I don't think society tries to figure out enough why people go through those things. And there's certainly, I know there's hotlines, but I don't think there's enough help as there should be. And there's not enough, you know, that's a whole nother conversation we could have about, you yeah. know, um, mental health professionals or we just are experiencing uh, a huge gap in the, the pipeline coming out of training programs and especially mental health pre professionals who are of color, um, mental health professionals who are LGBTQ plus. And why is that important? Because young people um, want to, their first preference is to work with somebody who looks like them and has shared identities. So, you know, to about two to 3% of psychologists coming out of doctoral programs are uh, psych psychologists of color. That's low, why is that? We have to take a look at that. Uh, uh, psychiatrists is even worse, medical degrees. Why is that? You know, that's a, a, a very important question that we have to ask. Why are we not producing more clinicians of color? You know, so, and then not to mention insurance and the cost and all that type of thing. 
Yeah, in a country that's, I mean, we have a lot, like we joke around a lot, first world problems, or there's no AC or, you know, oh my gosh, my Amazon shipment came a day late. Like we, we joke about stuff like that, but with the stuff that really matters with human life, there's not a lot of resources going that way. No. Now, you know, I've been very encouraged by our current um, Surgeon General. I mean, he's really... Um, I think he's really um, finally, not just him, that that office is paying attention to mental health. I mean, he he's he's talked about loneliness being a pandemic in this nation and, you know, the role of the impact of social media. It's really encouraging to see um, that office and that Surgeon General really make this a priority, uh, which is really important. So the 988, the switch to that number. Um, there was, since 2005, there was a national suicide prevention hotline, uh, but the number was really long. It's not easy to remember. So they switched to 988 uh, last July, 2022. And it gets a lot of calls, a lot of volume. So on your cell phone, that's all you, you that's all you punch, 988. Mm -hmm. huh. yeah. Wow. See, see yeah, I didn't even know that. I, I, I don't know about it. There's, yeah. There was a great study that came out that was done. Who did it? Oh God, I'm blanking on it now. But they find that the vast majority of, uh, of Americans don't even know that it exists. And it's been, you know, it's it's meant to make it a lot easier. So why don't we know about it? Like, it, it's not as simple as just advertising it. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's what this study was looking at. So what can we do um, to make sure that, you know, that's where it requires more marketing, more getting it on social media. That's what people are paying attention to. Now, you know, the people that are really more familiar with it are the black, the Hispanic, the LGBTQ wow. young people, because they're searching for that help. Mm. Um, and so that's what one of the things that that study found is that they they seem to be more likely to be familiar with it. You know, yeah. you know, I look back, I mean. I'm a 70s and 80s kid. I, I think we all are kind of in that same time frame, right? We went outside. We didn't have a weather channel app. If it rained, it rained, you know. <laughs> uh, we didn't have parents texting, texting us it's time to come home. We certainly didn't have Facebook, Instagram. There was nothing to compare our experiences with except just going to live your experience. And I feel like that's so hard today because like I could be having the greatest day and somebody I know, oh, wins $10,000 on the lottery and deep inside I'd be like, man, I'm pissed at that person. <laughs> it, right? Like, I mean, I, I feel like gratitude and just living your life, it's so hard. And and that's why numbers like 988, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit. I hope you can kind of see where I'm going with this. <laughs> the fact that we just, you just kind of did your thing. And it's so easy at any point in a day to pivot and say, oh, I, I'm having a great day, but I don't have that. So now my day sucks. Yes. And I feel bad. I feel bad about that. Like, I feel like I can differentiate it, but I still feel like I get caught up in that sometimes. Like I, I get worried how much, and, and I'm just as guilty of this as anybody else, how much time I spend on social media and my phone and you know, um, I think social media can be used for a lot of good, yes. but there's also bad things that happen and that impact people um, in, in negative ways as well as positive. And so, um, but we're competing with, you know, that immediate gratification, you know? Uh, 
It's very, it's very uh, addictive. So what do you do about it? I mean, I don't know the answer. I'm putting you on the spot. Like I, <laughs> I always, you know, in I the words of John Dunkel, what do you do uh, about it? <laughs> well, what I always encourage people to do, and I try to do this myself, is I uh, unplug myself. I do it for many hours a day and only allow myself to go on for a certain time. And then I stay on there for only a certain amount of time. You know, it's really important to disconnect like that. Um, like I, I don't watch the news in the morning. I might read the New York Times, but um, you know, I find it's important to really find some time to disconnect, go outside and, and walk, go and do you know whatever you do to relax. That's not part of social media. It's it's really important. You know, it's funny that that's great because for years I've been a proponent of cell phones in the classroom. Like it's okay, keep keep it out of reach. Let me see it. I'm. This year, when the students come back, when they're in my class for two hours, it's the first year I'm going to have them put them on the back counter like they can see them. And I'm not saying they can't take a phone call. And of course, they have their watches that trip when their phone's ringing. But I feel like I feel like the two hours we're together. We don't we don't need the cell phone. I, I've kind of flipped from from five, 10 years ago and I think we'll be better off for it. I don't know. I'll let you know 180 days from now how it goes. But oh, you know, I've always been, uh, you know, I, I think it's just too much of a distraction, and we're too connected sometimes. Again, they can be used for a lot of good too. Absolutely. But you know, when I when I'm sitting, I'll never forget one time I took my niece uh, to dinner to meet some friends, and she's sitting there, and you know, I'm she's on her phone. And I said, give me that. <laughs> I try to talk, engage a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, it's just too many distractions. And I don't know. You know what my daughters tell me if I'm on my phone? They're like, I'm going to mess this up, but you're going to get the gist of it. Phones down, friends on. Yes. Yeah, I like that's, that. what they, that's what they say. And I'm like, friend. I like that. Like, yeah. you're right. And I hate you for it. Right, you're right. <laughs> Matt, Matt, at work, like, how is it with employees? Like, you can't tell them they can't have their phone. I, I mean, you can, you can, <laughs> you and you can lie to yourself and pretend it's that's what's happening, but that's not particularly, you know, I, I don't find lying to myself so a good technique. Um, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's difficult because, as John pointed out, there's there's some positives there. We can, we can, it, with, with certain people, I can access them a lot quicker and, and, yeah. and they can be multitasking because of it better than, 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 than a traditional phone and in some of those ways, but it is a distraction. And, you know, it's, it's one of, one of mine and Paul's pillars, John is called trade-offs. Everything in the, everything in life is a trade-off. There's, there's just no solutions. There's trade-offs. And that's, it's a great example of trade-offs. Hey, Social media, cell phones, they got a lot of great things with them, as, as you'd mentioned. But, man, there's there's a downside, too. And, and you know, it's almost like how do you, you, you know, you do your best to mitigate that downside and, and, and educate yourself on what it is and then do your best to, to avoid it. But, um, you know, from from our our standpoint, Paul, uh, the answer is we've never been effective doing it. And I'm not sure if we did what the trade-off would be and, and what we would lose without it. So it's a good, it's a great question though. And, and um, 
Um, you know, I, I the biggest the biggest thing I, I the problem with it me with in my opinion is I'm not I'm not engaged the way I, I should be. I'm not in the moment, right? right? I'm not in the moment, and, and and we all see the people walking down the street, you know, or 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 you, the picture of you know a, a a sporting event where someone's doing a great thing or a concert, and everyone is taking a picture, and it's like. Are you here? Are you? I know you want the picture, but also there's something to be said for being in the moment. I don't think you're in the moment if your focus is on the picture. So it's it's interesting. If, no, if you, you guys, if, if you ever, so, oh, go ahead, John. I was gonna say you can't be truly present. You have to be honest with yourself. You know that you're not present, and when you're not present, people. I think young people today. And not just young people, I think others too, they 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 pride themselves on the fact that they think they can multitask well, but you can't. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I if agree you, with you wholeheartedly. You're just you're just missing something there. You're not in that moment. And for me, especially the older I get, I don't know about you guys, the older I get, the moments are what I'm the moments are what I treasure, you know, the 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 being in the moment with my my wife, my daughter, you know, my family, my friends. Um uh, just outside, right? Hitting a golf ball, taking a walk. Those are those are the things worth, frankly, worth living for. Um, not checking my phone to see how many likes I got on, you know, the 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 dinner I posted or whatever it happens to be. So, so have you ever been to a concert or a performer where they take your phones? No, I have. Really? Like, mm -hmm. what do they do? There, there's a it's a bag and I forget the name of it. Uh, I should know the name of it. But you walk in the front door and the the, uh, the 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 people at the front, ticket takers, security, they have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of these bags. And I keep waiting for the name to come. And you hand them your phone. I'm sorry. They hand you the bag. You put your phone in the bag, but it cannot be. You cannot open it. So you get to maintain it holding your phone in the bag you can't access it and then when you leave you walk out the door they have to like kind of scan it or you know what i mean hit it with a uh, something and it'll unlock it you pull your phone out and you give it back to them so yes and and uh gosh i wish i could think of the name of it in any case that's that's, oh, that's what i've experienced well i've been to that and then i went to the masters this year the golf tournament and you're not allowed to bring a phone in the masters you're not you even allowed. Even... You're not allowed access to the to the to the golf course with it. You better leave it in your car or, or throw it in the bushes. You're not going in with it. And a couple of that the Masters and and the other event I'm thinking of with a bag. Two of the best events I've been to in in forever, as long as I can remember, because you're present the whole time. You're just present. There's no. What's really scary is the first hour all you're doing is tapping your leg looking for your phone you're you know you're doing all these you're having all these this psychosis because your phone's not there and then once you let go it's like it's like 1989 again guys <laughs> yeah we, we we've lived what at least half our life without them mm -hmm. approximately yeah. And, yeah and i leave the house now i'm like where's my phone I, i've literally i know you've She's all done phone. We turn around and i go back and get my phone but i live my whole child like without it yeah yeah perfectly well do you yeah. know do you, do you know in college when i played golf my dad would want to know how i played so 
I'd drive, I'd go to the nearest payphone and I'd call my dad collect. And he didn't want to accept the charges. So they go, a collect call from, I'd go 77. And they're <laughs> like, up. collect call from 77. My dad's like, no thanks. Score. Okay. Yeah. And would hang up. Oh, that's funny. Like, I was kids like they can't even fathom that today because first of all, you could follow the round live online, like hole sure. by hole, like nobody knew. And I don't even know if I could go back to that. That's the sad part. Well, yeah. you know, when I moved to Chicago uh, in 1995, um, you know, I started exploring, you know, clubs and whatnot and bars and whatnot. And back then they, we didn't have the phones and we literally had to talk to each other. Now everyone's on their phone on the train. You get on the train in the morning. It's like every I counted one day. There are twenty people, and like most of them had a phone in their in their hand, looking at it. Yeah, it's it's an epidemic, isn't it? Instead of forming relationships, they're saying, "How are you today?" or "Where are you going?" or "Oh my God!" And you know, I live in a high rise here in New York, and you know, I get on. I live on the forty second floor, and when it stops. I can guarantee you whoever gets on is going to have a phone in their hand. They're looking at the phone. I don't know how they get service in the elevator. <laughs> then they'll walk and they'll, they'll be walking and they won't be looking and they'll like run into you almost. Oh yeah. I've experienced that plenty. Uh, yep. Yep. There yep. was a, I, I saw this today. It doesn't mean it's true. There's an Instagram influencer that supposedly was hanging out her car, like taking photos oh, and no. then, her she hit a light pole and died oh my god like oh, like boy. she's hanging out the car and then there's like the pole on the side of the road now i saw it it doesn't mean it's true but i but i believe that happens yeah. if that makes sense oh yeah i just think uh i just get worried and i'm guilty of this sometimes myself me too that we're me not too. present and i have to literally turn my phone over turn it off i don't even want to know it it does connect to my um Apple Watch, which I don't know how to change it, but I think I can figure it out. But <laughs> I just can't, you can't be truly present and really like I went to a Giants game. I told you about my friend. He took me to a Giants game this last year and I wanted to film them scoring a touchdown. So they did, but I couldn't cheer and everything because I was holding my camera. I couldn't really have the experience, as you said, Matt. Right. So yeah, it's 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 true. And I I've tried to get more away from that and, and experience. I'm not I'm not perfect from it by any means, but I think being forced into it in a couple of those events, I re it really was a, a eye opener for me. Like that, hey, you know, you're you're missing something you forgot you were missing. Yeah. Sometimes Matt's presence has ruined our friendship. Do you know sometimes he takes like 23 hours to get back to me on a text? Oh, no. And you saw that he read the text, right? You can see. Red. Yeah. Like, like, I'm like, you know what? That's fine. I can go find other people. You know, I'm, I'm joking, but I admire hey, it really. Hey, John, I, I got a question for you regarding your buckets, the buckets you mentioned that I wanted to ask you, you know, relationships, self-reflection, self-awareness, your resiliency. All those are three things uh, coming from what, uh, in my judgment, is a, a highly successful person. And, and I think that's what, you know, most people are aiming for. Are, are those three things, things that you were born with? Are those things people can work on? If, I, if I'm an 18 year old right now and I'm going, you know what? 
John's an impressive guy. This resonates with me. I, 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 I you know, he, I want to accomplish things like John, but you know what? I'm not all that self-aware or, or boy, boy, do I have a difficult time, you know, creating relationships. You follow where I'm going. I mean, how, how does, what do you tell someone like that? Or you just say, Hey, you're either born with it or, or you're not. I think, I think it's a little bit of both born and, and you learn. I think, you know, um, I'll say this about my parents. My parents really taught me a lot of lessons are, and my brothers and sisters about hard work and all that, but we weren't really touchy-feely. I wouldn't say they're the most self-reflective. I didn't learn that from them. Mm-hmm. I, I learned that in my training. I learned that in my relationships outside. Doesn't mean I don't love my parents, but we, I didn't learn that through them. Um, I learned uh, hard work. I learned don't whine. I learned, um, you know, uh, treat people with respect, those types of things from them. But I do think that, you know, it does require, uh, you know, really looking for opportunities to learn. And I, I did that in my, in my time. Now, I also, another important thing that I didn't mention that I, I don't want to underestimate in my, in my doctoral program, I took a course on career development and we read an article once on the role of luck in career mm-hmm. development. Okay. And I do think there's some truth to that. You know, but you need to be able to see that window and take advantage of it. Like, for example, my doctoral dissertation chair happened to be at Northwestern University for a job interview. And this was around 95 when I was just finishing my doctorate degree. And she was there and she had me talking to the search committee at Northwestern. They said they're looking for a psychologist who has expertise and interest in working with gay and lesbian youth. Um, and she got on the phone and said, John, you have to go apply for this. Here's the information. Go do it. If she wasn't there, that wouldn't have happened. Right. Yeah. So that's an example of luck and circumstance that you got to be able to jump on it when you see it. But, but real quick, you, you were also in the position to be able to jump on it. Yes. Yes. Like I, I, I tell kids all the time, you, you're, they're on the highway of life, just rolling, rolling, rolling along. They don't even understand what exits they could potentially take. Like they don't look at the exits. Like you looked at the exit and saw that and said, wow, why, why wouldn't I stop there for a while? And that that's where your journey takes you. If that, and if I, that dumb analogy makes sense. I don't yes, know. And I, I visited Chicago once and I said, I really loved it. And I thought, oh my God, I would love to live in Chicago. I had a job interview at Georgia State University in Atlanta and I got an offer, but then I got an interview and I said, hey, I want to hold on that until I go here. And I'm glad I did because next thing you know, I'm there 25 years. But, you know, um, the other thing that if you can learn to conquer it, don't let fear drive you. You know, fear can be so seductive and it can keep you from going outside of your um, your uh, comfort level. Comfort you know, zone. I grew up in small Amari, New York. Um, I never thought I would go away. And, you know, it was through those experiences that I really stretched myself. And, and yeah, I, I, I think deliberately putting yourself in uncomfortable positions it, it, within, you know, within reason, of course, I'm not talking safety. But is 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 one of the things that I'm constantly preaching as well is I, I, I have a mantra, John, if I'm comfortable, something I've, I've got to get uncomfortable. And, and you know, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. You know, my uh, my daughter, who's 24 years old, um, she as I as 
she was growing up and, and um, I was always preaching to her because I was trying to build my businesses. I was taking calculated risks and I was failing and I was succeeding. I was going through this whole process and I was telling her all the time, Hey, you got to get on, unco- you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. If you're, when you're comfortable, it's a sign you're not pushing enough. You're not doing enough. You know, if you want to grow and stretch and accomplish and the things that I was trying to do. And this was probably four or five years ago. Um, my, mine and my wife's businesses were going, going fantastic. And, we're doing wonderful in all these areas of in our lives. And my daughter pulled me aside. She was probably 18 or 19 at the time. And she said, Hey dad, I got to tell you something. You seem awfully comfortable to me right now. And she wasn't saying it as a compliment. She was saying is, Hey, maybe it's time to uh, get uncomfortable again and I'll never forget it. And, and, and I took it to heart and, um, but whether it's your business or your education or your relationships with, your, you know, maybe maybe you just want to be do something within your community and make an impact in your community. Well, you got to go out and get a little uncomfortable, right? Maybe knock on some doors, talk to some people you've never talked to before, do some things that you've never quite done before. And that discomfort, that zone right there, that's growth, right? I mean, my wife's pregnant right now. She's uncomfortable all the time because that baby is growing. <laughs> wow, absolutely. I totally agree. You know, and I, I didn't even mention, you know, as I'm talking this through a little bit, you know, the, the biggest hurdle that I dealt with with patients in my therapy work is helping them to navigate ambiguity. Life is about the gray areas. And mm-hmm. most of the issues that we deal with, you know, being relational and whatnot, there's a lot of ambiguity and there's not any clear answers all the time. And that can be very anxiety provoking and other provoking. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. That ambiguity, um, not having, you know, necessarily all the answers is a, is a skill. It's something you, it takes practice. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. John, uh, in our young podcast, your episode 87, Um, you are now our house psychologist. I'm I'm just letting you know that. So uh, you you have to come back, good or bad. It is what it is. You you have to come back on again. Is that okay? Love to. I'd love to. This is fun. Also, Matt's local. Next time you're back in town, you and Matt need to meet in person. Awesome. Hundred percent. I would I would love it, John. It's been it's been so nice talk, hearing from you and talking to you. And you know, I just looked at my clock and went, "What what happened?" Um, you know that that you know that's a compliment. Um, you know, I, I I certainly hope to meet in person and, and and hear more about your your what you're currently doing, what you've done in the past. I mean, I'm you're a fascinating person, and and uh, it's it's been a pleasure. Just like to tell my story. That's all. Everyone has a story, and I love hearing the stories. <laughs> That's, well, that, that's that, what that's, that's what why this we do is it. about. <laughs> and we we didn't really get too much into your story at Northwestern or the Jed Foundation. I mean, we we have so much material. Like you're coming back, whether you like oh, it or not. I love it. I love that. <laughs> Someday yeah. when we have our studio, you know, you'll be you'll be in there with the headphones <laughs> on. <you know. laughs> that sounds. Well, good. hey, uh, you're moving in a couple of weeks, so uh, safe travels. Thank you. I'm and excited. I, you're I, noticed, I noticed the lighting wasn't really good. Are you going to be able to brighten that a little bit? I just realized that. We'll figure it out. Yeah, You know, it's funny. Most people, when the podcast comes on, they don't watch it. They listen. Right. 
Uh, like when I'm walking, uh, I've got it on, but it's there because they handsome they, fellas they, like us, John. I think they're going to be watching. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I just realized uh, that we got halfway through, and I didn't want to interrupt the flow of the conversation. Otherwise, no. I turn the light on. Mine, mine nope. can do the same thing. I don't know what it. I don't. I don't know what it is, but I, like I, I have the same of, problem. I look like one of those people who are getting interviewed on the news. They don't want to be seen with a dark light. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> All right. Well, you know. No, you don't. Hey, John. Thank you so much. I mean, I've known a lot of your story. This this was so much fun. Uh, again, if anybody's struggling with like thoughts or life or or what they're doing, what resources can they call? Call or reach out to again. Well, first of all, I think they they should reach out to the person or people they trust the most first. Um, and there's also other things like the 988 National Suicide Hotline Lifeline. Um, and it's also you can also text it, and you you reach a um, professional right away. And so um, I can also, if you want, send you um, some other links that if you want to put it at the end of the podcast, uh, people yeah. know. Um, but that 988 is one that we're really trying to educate more and more people about. No, I would like that a lot because at the end of the day, it's like that, reach out. You, you you might get through the day, the evening, and next thing you know, you've got a whole new purpose or meaning. Your life's hit a new trajectory, right? But exactly. but yeah. doing something drastic is not going to help your cause. And you know, you never know the trusted people that you know, my people who I trust are going to be different than yours and. Who I feel most comfortable with reaching out. That's something that uh, requires to really think carefully about who that is and who they are. Um, so, sure. Very personal stuff. Mm -hmm. John, yeah. John I, I've known you for a long time and I always have a great time. Like every time we've been in person, the conversation, I mean, we just talk forever. And then finally, my wife's like, we got to go. You know, so <laughs> uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Like, you're inspiring. I love your journey. I love your story. I was excited to have Matt meet you. I'm excited for our viewers to, to hear your story and you'll be back. I'm telling you. Awesome. Well, I look forward to it. That was great. All right. Thanks, John. Thanks, Take care, John. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.